1: Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show.
0: Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan Live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner.
1: Hi, everyone. When I first started to grow fruit trees in my local park, I heard about the importance of growing hardy apple trees. I wasn't exactly sure what that meant. I guessed it meant that the trees would be tough and could put up with a lot, and I was sort of Right. Traditionally, when you say an apple tree is hardy, it means that it's winter hardy and that it can survive a cold winter. And I live in Canada, so a winter hardy apple tree would be a great choice for me. But over the years, hardy has come to mean more than a tree's ability to survive cold winters. It can also mean that the tree is easier to grow because it's resistant to common fruit tree diseases or it might mean that the tree is better equipped to handle extreme temperature fluctuations, those that come with the changing climate. So in today's show, we're going to talk about hardy apple trees with Bob Osborne, who's the owner of Cornhill Nursery in New Brunswick and the author of a beautiful new hardcover book, Hardy Apples, Growing Apples in Cold Climates. Before we dig into today's topic, I would love to hear from you. Do you grow hardy apple trees? What are your favorite apple varieties? Send your question or your comment during the live show today, and we'll enter you into our contest to win a free copy of Bob's book, which sells in the stores for $35. So to enter today's contest, just send us an email right now to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. Send it at any time during the live show. And remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. I hope to hear from you soon. So Bob Osborne, welcome to the show today.
2: Thank you, good to be here, Susan.
1: It's great to have you. Now your book is about hardy apple trees. Why have you become an expert in hardy apple trees? What is the climate like where you live?
2: Well in New Brunswick, we can go down to minus 40, which is the same whether you're Celsius or Fahrenheit. It's where they cross. And that puts uh, a lot of apples out of our reach. Now it is true that we are a bit warmer the last few decades, so we are but we can still easily get minus 35. Uh, so they have to be uh, tough enough to survive that which means they have to go into dormancy relatively early and be able to stay in dormancy until the actual spring arrives. Because one of the problems with uh, our, our particular climate is that we can be minus 20 and then it'll... The next day or two, it'll rise up above freezing, sometimes even staying there for a while, and then bang, we're back to minus 20. That is very difficult for some plants, especially some fruit trees, uh, to manage. So it has to be something that is adaptable to this kind of climate. Now, when you're looking out Midwest and so forth, you have maybe even lower temperatures, uh, maybe not as much fluctuation, but you're still going to need extremely hardy apples. So uh, the, the, it's uh, disease resistance is part of that, but it's actually a, a fairly minor part in terms of why we call them hardy. What we're looking for are, are apples that will survive uh, very very low temperatures and uh, and still produce fruit.
1: I find it interesting. You talk about going into dormancy early. What exactly does that look like?
2: You can tell a lot by how the leaves when the leaves drop. Uh, so, uh, for instance, if you have uh, you know a maple tree that's in Tennessee. Uh, it's been acclimated there. You know, it really doesn't go into dormancy till later than one that would be in New Brunswick or Maine or places like that. Um, so a lot of it has to do with uh, shutting down early, which is generally around here, around November. Uh, so all of my trees, for instance, have lost their leaves now. They're completely bare. Um, if you have a tree that's still hanging onto its leaves, chances are it is not fully dormant. And once it, once a tree goes into full dormancy, um, you you don't want to try to you don't want to have to bring it out of dormancy because it will never go back into as deep a dormancy. So it, it has to have that ability to resist coming out of dormancy if you have a warm period in midwinter.
1: So my other question is: Are there actually hardy "quote unquote" apple trees? that traditionally were grown in climates like in Canada which you now won't grow because of the 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 fluctuations in the climate can you think of any cultivars um, not too many
2: i i think um you know although we do get more fluctuations and it may cause problems it hasn't really caused a problem with hardy apples that we have and that would be for ontario uh, and even now, Midwest and so forth, they prairie provinces. Um, so I, I can't think of too many that are really affected that much yet. Now that may change in the future, but really, if it's hardy, it should stay hardy, uh, even with these fluctuations we're getting.
1: So I got an email here from mm-hmm. Gail, and Gail is, says she is very glad that you're on the show with me and she's welcoming you. She says, stay well. So mm-hmm. thank you very much, Gail. Um, Okay, Uh, the other questions I have for you is about the history of hardy apple trees. How is it that we have them? Um, Were they sort of brought over from Europe? When did hardy apple trees begin here in North America?
2: Well, the the story goes all the way back to southern Kazakhstan, which is in Asia, Central Asia. And it was there that the, the original home of the apple was discovered, by a a Russian botanist. And it was right on what we call the Silk Road. So there were apple seed, especially traveling both east toward China and west toward Central Asia and then Persia. They made their way eventually to Europe and then eventually crossed the ocean, mostly as seed to begin with, uh, into North America. And then once you get into North America, there's a wide range of of climate and temperature. So the ones that could not stand uh, the cold temperatures, of course, either died out in the north or, uh, you know, you you have this adaptation um, problem where, you know, you can you can if you're lucky, the seed germinates, if you're lucky, it grows up and doesn't get eaten and so forth. And so, you know, it takes a while before you know whether a particular seedling is worth growing. And now a lot of them were grown for cider. So that was a different thing. It didn't really matter too much uh, whether or not it was a dessert type or a a cooking type. Um, But it took quite a while before some of these began to be selected. And so then you start getting the early ones like Seek No Further, uh, um, um, let's see, uh, FAMUZ and so forth, some of these really early types. And then later on, there was uh, an influx of genetics Uh, brought from the colder areas of Russia into North America. And then you have um, cultivars such as uh, Dutchess, Titovsky, uh, Antonovka, some of these really, really tough things that can take minus 40, minus 45, uh, and still bear fruit the next year. And so they use those uh, in breeding programs. So what's happening is over the last few centuries, we have seen an expansion of the number of uh, apple trees that you can grow in cold climates. So it's it's been quite remarkable, actually. And now we're seeing even higher quality produ- uh, apples being produced that can grow in very, very uh, northern conditions. So it's it's been a long process.
1: <laughs> it has been. It really sounds like it. We have an email from Joyce here. Hello to Susan. When picking apples in the fall, what is the very best way to store them to last most of the winter, if that is in fact possible. Thank you for the tips. (laughs)
2: Um, What I would say is it depends a lot on the apple, how you handle it. If you obviously, if you have early apples, they're not going to keep very long as a general rule, but if you have a later uh, hardy keeping type apple, uh, generally speaking, you want to get that apple into about three to four degrees Celsius, Uh, as soon as possible, and that prevents it from breaking down. Uh, Some apples, for instance, Honeycrisp is a very popular apple right now, and Honeycrisp actually needs to sit at a temperature of around 10 degrees for three, four, five days before it is put into the lower temperature. So it does vary slightly, but in most cases, once you pick it, if you can get it down to those kind of temperatures, let's say three, four degrees Celsius, uh, you should be able to keep those for months, perhaps even uh, several months. Uh, six, some some apples I can keep even longer uh, if they are given uh, special treatment. Now we have the the cold storages today are replacing oxygen, for instance, in the rooms, they're sealed rooms, and they replace that with nitrogen. So they can actually almost completely stop the, the respiration in an apple. And it'll keep often maybe even a year in cold storage and still be in good condition. So it's the, the science of keeping them has changed. But most people don't have that, of course. So you just keep it as cold as possible without freezing it.
1: I think Joyce, Joyce's question is a great one, because in terms of hardy apples, you're going to be planting an apple tree. Let's say somebody who's listening to the show and they choose a cultivar. There are actually some cultivars that will keep better than others. So would you say that there are one or two cultivars that you might suggest that are good keepers, that if you're planting a few apple trees, you want to know you have one that will make it through the winter in a regular uh, cold cellar or fridge even?
2: Well, one of the apples that I'm most uh, interested in is called Liberty. It's a new scab-resistant um, cultivar comes out of New York. Um, it's a late apple, so we don't pick them here till mid-October. And uh, if that's put into cold storage, you can keep that right until probably next June, uh, if, if you can keep the temperature down. Um, you know, there are, like even Honeycrisp, for instance, is an excellent keeper, uh, a lot a lot of, if, usually if it's a late apple, a hard apple, uh, if you give it the proper conditions, you can keep them for six months or more.
1: And by the way, to Joyce and anybody who else who is interested, go to orchardpeople.com and you can search for an article we have on how to store apples during the winter. So that will also talk to you, you know, explain some of the technicalities of how to keep an apple tree at home. Okay, we've got a, a message here. Oh, this is interesting. A message from Jeff. I don't know where Jeff is from. Hi, Susan Poisoner and Bob Osborne. How do fruiting wall or espalier pruning methods affect fruit trees, especially those that are borderline hardy?
2: Well, it's true that uh, in the past, especially, um, espalier against like a southern wall of a building, especially if it's a heated building, will give a little bit of extra warmth in the winter. So you can actually oftentimes um, get them to ripen early and uh, perhaps uh, make them uh, survive winters that they wouldn't out in the open. Um, you're still taking a chance when you do that, because one of the things that happens if it's a Southern wall, which is what most people are using is that it will, it will heat up in, in, on a sunny day and so forth. And then you get a quick freeze when the sun sets. So that's, that is a problem too. Now, espalier that is used today to, to essentially create, um, high density orchards, uh, don't, there, there, it's essentially what you're doing is you, you, when you first put your tree in, you train the central leader up to the top wire, which is usually around nine feet in most operations. And then as the side branches grow, you gradually remove any branch that gets uh, half the diameter of the trunk or more. And so you're always uh, preferring uh, horizontal type branches that are less vigorous. And so you're always taking away vigor from the tree, but you're, you're uh, increasing the amount of fruit buds that are formed. And so what you do is you actually promote uh, high production in a sort of wall of, of branches because it's almost like a two dimensional tree rather than a three dimensional tree. And usually that means that they ripen earlier. Uh, you tend to get larger fruit and hopefully better quality.
1: Okay. Yeah. Interesting question, because really it, I'm, uh, that that's a curious question because you do have to carefully choose what types of trees that you grow in espalier, like a decorative espalier versus high density trees. Like maybe some are better than others in terms of some are tip bearing and some are spur bearing, so um, it's interesting in your book, you do talk a lot about the the shapes, different trees naturally want to go into different shapes. Uh, you do mention that I think. Uh, Yeah, we have another email here from Debbie. This is also interesting. So Debbie writes, hello, urban forestry. My name is Debbie and I live at 7,600 feet on a south-facing slope in the Colorado foothills outside of Boulder, Colorado. I'm growing two apple varieties, Frostfire, unfortunately on a dwarfing rootstock, not a good idea in a dry, windy climate. And Debbie is also growing Colorado orange on standard rootstock. That's an heirloom apple variety from the Montezuma Orchard. Restoration project. Oh, Colorado Orange. That's interesting. Both varieties are doing well with only strategic watering during very dry periods. Thanks so much for your show. Wow, what an interesting um, email. Have you heard of Frost Fire? Uh, the apple variety frost fire, Bob?
2: I have not heard of frost fire. There is a frostbite, which is uh one of is my favorite, I think. Uh, and it is coming out of it came out of Minnesota. It was uh, produced quite early, actually, back in the 1930s, I think. And I, but I've never heard of Colorado Orange. It's probably a very local apple, but uh, fascinating.
1: Yes, it is. It actually is. Um, here's another email. This one's from Sean. Um, Sean, not sure where you're from. Hi Susan, thanks for the info on the storage of apples. So helpful. Wonderful. Okay, so let's talk about hardy apples that are hardy but that are also easy to grow. Um, Are there some apple varieties that you feature in your book that you would say are easier to grow than others?
2: Yes. Um, One of the things that I think frustrates most people when they start to grow apples, no matter where you are, uh, is disease and insects. And so uh, if you are planning to grow without uh, the heavier-duty pesticides and so forth, then the first thing I would look for, other than hardiness, is uh, disease resistance. And diseases are probably the most difficult to deal with because they're airborne uh, spores that land. And yet the most famous, of course, is apple scab. So you take a, a cultivar like um, Macintosh, very, very susceptible. Now, you can take... Uh, a, a cultivar such as Novamac, which is a cross between Macintosh and a scab resistant seedling, that resulted in, a, in an apple that's essentially the same flavor as Macintosh, the same texture, very, very similar. A uh, little bit later, but not much. And uh, you can grow that with ease because it does not get scab, it does not get mildew, it does not get rust, it does not get fire blight. So you'll still have to deal with some insects, but even so, um, I find that Novomac, for instance, is more resistant uh, to things like coddling moth and uh, and uh, apple maggot than, than many. Uh, another one that I would point out is Liberty, which again, very, very disease resistant. Uh, so it, that makes growing them so much easier than if you have a scabby apple. And ma- most of your common cultivars are subject to scab.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: scab, scab, it's not that you can't eat it. it it's not going to harm you, uh, but uh, it aesthetically is not as pleasing and they will not store as well. They will tend to rot easily in cold in storage. So uh, very important that you, you look at the disease resistance as well as
1: the hardiness. So we have Liberty, we have Nova Mac. Is there a third uh, one that you find easier to grow, disease resistant, that you really like?
2: Oh, well, and we can go back to frostbite, which is uh, all around the most interesting apple I've ever run into. Um, when I first bit into a frostbite, it was as if all of the essences of apple had been distilled, almost like a a, you know, a wine compared to a brandy, right? It, and it has this uh, background of kind of sugarcane sweetness. It's very uh, crunchy, juicy. Um, some people say uh, it, rem- it has a sort of nuttiness to it. It's a very complex apple. And interesting enough, when they did a DNA test of Honeycrisp, the big uh, superstar right now. It turns out that it is the grandparent of Honeycrisp. And when you taste it, you can feel some of that, like the very, that, that crisp, crackling crispness of it. Uh, but the flavor is like nothing else. And it does That's tend, to, I have not seen much scab on it at all. Uh, and it is super hearty.
1: That sounds fantastic. I have never had uh, frostbite. I would love to try it. Do you know who developed it? Or was it a seedling apple that somebody found?
2: It came out of the University of Minnesota uh, fruit, fruit breeding program. Uh, it was a, I think it was Dr. Alderman who who chose the seedling. They used it in breeding Purpose for breeding purposes, but it was never released because it was small. It was not what we call pretty. It it often had uh, russeting on the surface and so forth, and not a great, not a large apple. Uh, But it's interesting that there were enough people like me who bought it as Minnesota 447 who fell in love with it and they kept badgering the university until finally they had a contest to name it. And they had 7,000 people write in with names and four of them, I think it was four or seven of them chose frostbite, which I think is an absolutely perfect name. And so it's just so great that it was not allowed to slip into horticultural oblivion because it is such an amazing apple.
1: Oh, that's a great story. Uh, We got another email from Jeff who reminds us, who tells us he's from Rapid City, South Dakota. So thank you, Jeff. Okay, let's see. We've got a couple more emails. Uh, Debbie writes us again. Oh, so Debbie was talking about the frostbite apple variety. Thanks for the Mm. correction, Debbie says. That's great. Okay. Oh, I really have to try frostbite. And it's not, not something that I have ever seen in a supermarket or in a farmer's market even. So... I guess I have to come to New Brunswick to try it at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, Rita writes, uh, okay, hello, Susan from Boston, Massachusetts. Love the show today. No question right now, but please enter me into the book contest. Thank you. I think everybody's quite excited about your book, which is really beautiful. Lots of pictures. Um, did you have a lot of fun tasting the different cultivars um, or is just this is this just from years and years of experience working with the trees?
2: Well, I've been at this for 42 years, uh, not counting when I grew some apples before my old home and uh, so I've been able to taste oh 100, 150 different types of apples over the years. And there's always new ones coming in. For instance, we had a, this was the first year that I had pristine, which is a new uh, scab resistant um, cultivar that's very early, but keeps well. And it is amazing. It's like one of the best early apples I've ever had. And so it it always keeps it new. It keeps it exciting. Um, And one of the reasons that I wrote the book was that, people don't get a chance to try a frostbite or a pristine and so forth. You know, you have the, let's say the top 10 apples in the store and they all have to look gorgeous. They have to be large. And it's not that they aren't good apples. I mean, ambrosia, uh, you know, these are wonderful apples. Um, But there is so much that we have kind of relegated uh, to the dustbin of horticulture, because they are not as productive. Uh, You know, perhaps they are small. They don't look as pretty as as people think. Now, that is changing. I I have noticed that all of a sudden now uh, you have green apples appearing in the store and so forth. But there's really um, very little chance of finding a lot of these unless you know a farmer who produces these and sells them at a market or something, but it's uh, it's another good reason to uh, to go to farmers' markets because you often see apples like a Sandow, for instance, which kind of disappeared. It was, came out of the nineteen fifties, and it's an amazing apple, very scab resistant, and and yet hardly anybody knows about it. So,
1: yeah, absolutely, and another good reason to learn to grow fruit trees yourself right? Mm -hmm, You know, if a lot of these cultivars, if you don't grow them, if you don't know someone who grows them, you will never get to enjoy them. And by the way, pristine is one of my very favorites. It is a wonderfully early apple and we have it in our orchard. The great thing about pristine for us is in our orchard, which is in a public park, people walk through and harvest the apples early because they're around on the tree for the whole season and they're excited and they harvest the apples before they're even ripe. So we often don't get to taste them, but the pristine is so early, nobody even expects it. So we have this tree kind of hidden away, and then we have managed to get one or two apples off of the tree. But each year there are people who find who figure things out and oh, they get the apples, that's okay. Um, let's do one more quick question before we have our little commercial break. We've got, I had a bunch of wonderful questions from Ariel in Utah, who submitted them over Facebook. And one of her questions was, what is the bed, best red-fleshed hardy apple? Well, can you talk a little bit about red-fleshed apples? You don't really get those in the supermarket much.
2: No, uh, there aren't too many out there, although now they are they're doing breeding work right now to produce them uh, because they're very high in anthocyanin, which is... Uh, Uh, a a very uh, healthy time thing to uh, to eat (laughs) and that's what you get in the red flesh and so forth Um, there is uh, one called Geneva crab uh, which is used a lot in cider now it gives color to to the to the juice Um, and it is it's a little on the tart side but uh, it's quite good Uh, there are others um uh, I have one called tango wine, where they're not exactly completely red flesh, but you have all the veins moving in from the skin into the interior. Another one that will do that is actually Famous or Snow Apple. It's usually it's white flesh, but it you have veins running into it. Um, but um, there are not too many um, apples out there in the market right now with red flesh. But I think you're going to see them. There's an old one called Surprise, which, uh, uh, but that's a very old and probably almost extinct apple now. But uh, there there are a few around, but not very many.
1: Interesting. Yes, um, and especially if you're growing for hardy. know if you've got cold conditions that's going to limit it even more Mm. so bob let's take a few minutes to hear some words from our sponsors and then after the commercial break i want to talk about some more recommendations we'll talk about heirloom like some of the really old varieties that you enjoy that are hardy um and we'll talk about some other fruit trees are you okay staying on the line for a few minutes absolutely wonderful that's perfect so you are listening to the urban forestry radio show and podcast brought to you by the fruit tree care training website orchardpeople.com this is reality radio 101 and i'm susan Poisner, author of the fruit tree care books growing urban orchards and grow fruit trees fast and we'll be back right after the break
3: If you're listening to this show, you are passionate about fruit trees. But do you care how your trees are grown? Silver Creek Nursery is a family-owned business, and we grow our fruit trees sustainably using only organic inputs. We stock a huge range of cultivars, like Wolf River, an apple tree that produces fruit so large you can make an entire pie with just one apple. We also carry red-fleshed apples, like Pink Pearl, as well as heirloom and disease-resistant varieties of apples, pears, apricots, cherries, and more. We ship our trees across Canada, and we can also supply you with berry canes and edible companion plants to plant near your trees. At Silver Creek Nursery, we grow fruit trees for a sustainable food future. Learn more about us at silvercreeknursery.ca. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes over 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Tree Nursery. Call us today.
1: Hi everyone, it's Susan Poisner from OrchardPeople.com. Do you have a question about growing fruit trees? Maybe your tree is struggling with pest and disease problems, or maybe it produces poor quality fruit. If you're looking for the answer to these problems, pick up a copy of my new book Grow Fruit Trees Fast. In the book I'll teach you what you need to do to keep your fruit trees healthy and productive. And as a bonus, the book takes just one hour to read. Go to Amazon.com or your local Amazon store and search for Grow Fruit Trees Fast by Susan Poisner. I hope you love the book and that it helps you have healthy and productive fruit trees.
0: Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board right now, send us an email. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. Now, back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner.
1: You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and podcast brought to you by the fruit tree care training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner. In the show today, we've been talking about hardy apple trees, we talked a little bit about their history. And in this part of the show, I want to discuss different types of recommended hardy apple trees that you might want to grow in your own backyard, including the ones that produce the best tasting fruit. My guest on the show today is Bob Osborne, the owner of Cornhill Nursery in New Brunswick, Canada. And he's the author of a brand new book called Hardy Apples Growing Apples in Cold Climates. Now, if you're interested in winning a free copy of Bob's beautiful hard hardcover book, valued at $35, you can enter today's contest. To do that, send an email to us during the live show today. Send your email to instudio101 at gmail.com with a question, with a comment, or you can just write us to say hi. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. I look forward to hearing from you. So back to Bob. Bob, in your book, you feature 90 different hardy apple tree cultivars, and you call them specifically cultivars not varieties. Can you can you tell me a little bit about that?
2: Well, I uh, apples have always been called by a variety. Uh, And yet, botanically or horticulturally, that is not correct, because a variety is a group of similar seedlings that uh, are very difficult to tell apart, but they are genetically uh, different. For instance, if you take a a green arrow pea, for instance, well, all of those plants will look the same. They'll produce the same general type of of fruit, but they are all genetically unique, So they're not really exactly the same. When we talk about a cultivar, we are talking about a specific seedling that was found, named, and then is propagated asexually. So it's either by cuttings or by grafting or budding. And so what it does is it maintains the exact uh, DNA, if you will, the genetic makeup of that plant. And so, uh, you know, if, if you're looking at a Macintosh, for instance, it's Within reason, it is exactly the same as the seedling that was found back in the 1700s in Ontario. So uh, when we're talking about cultivar, we are talking about a unique set of uh, genetics.
1: Okay, so let's talk about some different cultivars. We have uh, an email from Carrie. Carrie is from Bend, Oregon. Are there any dwarf varieties of apple trees that produce well in drier climates? We've had them in the ground for about five years and the blossoms usually freeze. One of the varieties is Pixie Crunch and I don't remember the other variety. So that's from Carrie.
2: Well, if your blossoms are freezing, it has a lot to do with your site. And you'll, if you'll notice that most commercial operations are located where you have no late freezes and no early freezes in the fall. Uh, so they're often next to large bodies of water or in a particular situation uh, that gives you that freedom from frost. And that's a very difficult thing to stop. Now, most, most cultivars of apple are relatively vigorous or moderately vigorous. Uh, and it is actually the, the rootstock that they are grafted or budded onto that is going to affect the size uh, and often the, the earliness of production and sometimes even the amount of production. Um, so really it's a rootstock that is uh, giving you the dwarfing ability. Uh, and it's not so much that it, uh, it doesn't strangle the tree or anything. It, what it does is that it, it promotes a very early production of fruit, which means you have a lot of seed and seed is what takes most of the energy uh, of a tree. To produce. So uh, when you have uh, a dwarfing rootstock, uh, a lot of your energy is going into fruit production rather than vegetative. So you, it t- tends to stay smaller. I have not had a lot of experience with living in a dry climate because I actually, ours is, if anything, is a fairly humid climate here. And so I'm a little bit out of my element when I talk about the dryness. Um, But most fruit trees, particularly apples, do require uh, the soil to be able to hold enough moisture for proper growth. And so you may have to find that you need to provide some sort of irrigation. And I would I would highly recommend something like a drip irrigation if if it's not a big orchard, uh, just to have a few fruit trees because you're going to use a lot less water uh, and uh, it'll be directed right where you need it to to the root system. So having a lack of water uh, is a real problem uh, if you're trying to grow apples, no matter whether they're hardy or not. Uh, so th- that's something that has to be looked at.
1: Um, Carrie wrote us back actually quickly after that. So she mentioned that the, the climate is very dry with only 12 inches precipitation a year. The temperature swings can be uh, between 30 and f- minus 40, 30 degrees and minus 40 The first winter trees were in the yard. We had a very snowy and cold winter. But here's her extra question, and this is a nice one, a good question. Also, should fruit trees be watered in the winter months?
2: Generally, we would not. Uh, You know, again, but it depends on your situation. But uh, I would say it's very unusual that anybody would water them when they are dormant because they are not... Transpiring. They're not losing water through their leaves. Uh, So, as long as there's adequate moisture in the ground for the roots to survive well, um, I would not uh, generally suggest watering in the winter.
1: We have an email as well from Mark. Mark writes Hello, Susan. What do you think of Sweet 16? which also comes from Minnesota. And Mark is writing from Greenwich, UT. Is that Utah?
2: Utah, I believe.
1: Yeah, Utah. So Sweet 16.
2: Yeah. Sweet yeah. 16 is another Minnesota apple. Uh, and There's another one besides that called keepsake, which is actually a... A seedling uh, from uh, frostbite, <laughs> and Sweet Sixteen is—it's a lovely apple. We have uh, some young trees here. Um, actually, Minnesota has produced some of the finest hardy apples that we have today. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I would—I would advise people. Um, sometimes it's, they're very hard to get outside of Minnesota. Uh, you can find a lot of the Minnesota apples there, but outside of Minnesota, you really have to search and uh, for for places that sell uh, such such you know unique cultivars.
1: Actually, yep. I know that here in Ontario, we have Silver Creek Nursery and Wiffle Tree both sell Sweet Sixteen. Mm-hmm. I've planted them for community groups on various sites, never managed to get an apple to taste just because I don't always go back, but they are disease resistant. So I'm kind of excited about Sweet 16. If anybody's listening from Ontario and you've got a harvest, tell me, and I would love to grab one of those apples to taste. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've got an interesting email here from Sean. Let's see. So hello, Susan. Thank you for taking your time, the time to make your podcast. I'm happy to have found this resource I started growing small fruit trees in 2014, and it has been a challenge. I live in Newfoundland, and the climate is often cool, cold, and damp. I'm listening to the older podcasts and was wondering if you can make the earlier ones available. Oh, wow, great. Uh, There's more to this question, but on that, Sean... At orchardpeople.com slash podcasts, you can listen to the last 25 episodes, but I have many more. In order to access those, you can go to Apple uh, iTunes, but I'm going to put a link on that website to take you, Sean, and anybody else to another website where you can get every single old episode so you can listen to them because all my guests are so fantastic. It's always worth listening back. Anyways, uh, Sean says, the current topic is very interesting and timely, not just the time of year, but helping guide my selections. I do have a question for your guest. Is selecting rootstock the biggest consideration for colder, colder climates, or can variety be just as important? Great question, Sean. What are your thoughts?
2: They're both important. Um, you definitely want to choose um, a hardy rootstock uh, and one that will uh, be compatible with with the cultivar you choose. But um, although Newfoundland is cold, it's not near as cold as we are, unless you are very uh, inland, um, <clears throat> because the ocean does have a, a tempering effect on the on the temperature. Um, but what I would suggest, and I've we've uh, supplied. Uh, growers, orchardists in Newfoundland before, is to choose early cultivars, early ripening, Uh, because a lot of the late uh, ripening cultivars need a certain amount of heat units before they will be really at their peak. Uh, So cultivars uh, like Viking, uh, Red Free, uh, Williams Red, um, some of those are, are excellent. Pristine is another one I would very much like to see tried in, in Newfoundland. Um, and you will have a lot better luck using uh, those early cultivars because they're going to actually, because you are, you're maybe not as cold in the winter, but you're cooler all summer. And so you don't have the heat units that we would have here. So uh, with that in mind, um, the your late, even though it's an what we call an early cultivar, it's going to probably mature about the time just before your first frost. And so you, I think you'll be successful those early ones. A lot of the later ones, you know, don't try to grow delicious or some of these late types because you're not going to have much luck.
1: Great advice. Great question too. So here we have a question from Aislin. Um, let's see. <clears throat> Hi, Susan and Bob. Just wondering if you have any info on disease resistance of red wonder apple, specifically fire blight resistant. I'm in Eastern Ontario zone 4B. Also, is it yummy? <laughs> so thanks. Love the show. That's from Aislin. Red wonder apple is not one that I've heard of before. What about you, Bob?
2: I have never heard of it either. And I've heard of a lot of apples, but not red wonder. It might be a very (laughs) new one possibly, but no, that's, that's one I've never heard of.
1: Oh, Aislin. Well, you're going to have to keep us posted on that and send me a red. I want to try one of those every new apple. (laughs) I want to try. That's a little bit greedy of me, but anyways, we've got an email from John. Okay. John writes. "Uh, Hi, Susan. Thanks for the great presentation and knowledgeable guest. I'm wondering In view of the fact that we're all in the midst of a climate crisis, that amongst other things stems from the decline in our biodiversity, should we be trying to plant native apple trees that will not only produce apples, but provide habitat and a food supply for native insects and fauna? Thanks. And that's from John, who is in Aurora, and he is from the Canadian Tree Fund.
2: Well, I'm, I'm very much a, a diversity guy. I, I think it's very important. However, when we look at apples, there were only uh, a few native apple species here. They're extremely rare, and they were tiny fruited uh, and very bitter. So they have never been used uh, to my knowledge in any orchard. Uh, and I think they would be extremely difficult to find but uh, because really all of the apples, actually most of the fruit trees we grow have all been brought from somewhere else. They do, however, provide like uh, an apple tree is, uh, provides uh, pollen and nectar and so forth for bees, uh, wild bees, as well as honeybees. And uh, in some respects, I guess you could say, it feeds the native fauna as well, but we don't really enjoy that in our orchards (laughs) because the deer love them and the maggot loves them and so forth. But uh, in terms of natives, there's not really much to choose from when when you're talking about apples.
1: So I have a couple of comments as well for you, John, and I love your question. First of all, check back to a previous episode of the show, where we did an episode on native apple trees. We talk about them, <clears throat> what they are, what they taste like, what diseases they get or don't get. I think you'll enjoy that. But the other thing is, uh, we have a previous episode on pruning old apple trees. It was The guest was from England, from the UK. And what he was saying is, old apple trees, apple trees that are are big old apple trees that are grown on full-size rootstock that will live to a hundred years or more. Those trees are really important for sustaining um you know, native uh, you know, whether it's insects or wildlife. when they're starting to break down, when they have holes in them, when they're falling apart. So we so often here in North America grow dwarfing apple trees that maybe won't live to 100 years. So there are different ways to provide habitat. And one is keeping those old apple trees healthy and alive with correct pruning, with correct care. Just because it's old and it's not producing a lot of fruit doesn't mean that it's not giving us a benefit you know, uh, environmentally and in every other way. And plus a lot of old apple trees, you know, people complain, oh, it's not pruning, not producing well. If you prune it properly and take care of it properly, it will still produce and it can be an old friend. So those are my thoughts. Now I'll get off my little platform there. Um, But yes, what a wonderful question. So Bob, when it comes to heirloom apples, hardy heirloom apples, There are so many cultivars. I went to one apple tasting a few years ago with 40 different cultivars to try. You literally cannot try 40 different apples and and retain your sense of taste. You know, you have to pick six or something and try. So if I was going to plant an heirloom apple tree, and out of the selection of God knows how many, what would you say would be the best tasting heirloom apple tree that is hardy that I could buy for a fresh eating apple?
2: Well, one that you probably could find at uh, at least the nursery that provides uh, any kind of selection is the old Fema's or snow apple. Um, this is, it's a, if it's uh, brought to maturity it's usually bright red, especially if it's in the sun. It is small to medium, usually around medium size, although sometimes you get large ones. And inside is a flavor that's, it is reminiscent of Macintosh, but it's extremely aromatic. Um, It has uh, very high sugars, especially if it's completely ripe. Uh, And uh, it, for me, it's one of the great flavors of the old, old apples. Um, I have one that's hard to get now uh, called... uh, uh, seek no further which i think is one of the greatest names in apples <laughs> it's like this is the one you don't have to worry about it anymore and it was actually one of the oldest apples in north america found in the connecticut river valley in about 1640 i think and uh, it was considered one of the uh, one of the finest dessert apples uh, of the time and it is still a really nice apple um, perhaps it wouldn't compare, let's say, to you know, an ambrosia or whatever, uh, but it is a really, really good one. And another one that's uh, fairly uncommon, but I really love, is bethel, and this was found in Vermont in the 1800s, and uh, it has uh, it has a unique flavor that, uh, again, it, I find it very hard to to describe to people flavors in apples because we don't really have the vocabulary for it. You know, you, you, when you when you're talking about wines, you have all of these various toasty and oaky and all this kind of stuff, uh, but not so much for apples. But it, it suffice to say, it's a very very unique apple, um, and that's just a few of them. I mean, in a sense, it's really hard to pick them out because every single one of them was chosen for a reason, and usually, you when you taste it, you understand why. Some of them, of course, were for cooking or baking, and uh, that's a whole different thing because there you generally are looking for different characteristics. Like if you're a cooking apple, you need a fair amount of acidity because a very sweet apple, let's say like Tolman sweet is a very old sweet apple, but it would not make a good pie because it would taste kind of flat. Whereas something like a Bramley or a Rhode Island Greening has high sh- uh, acids as well as sugars. And so you get that uh, that briskness that the sugar balances with.
1: Yeah, interesting. In terms of uh, famous, uh, is that the same as a snow apple? Is that just a different name for it's the snow apple? Just a different
2: name. Yeah, different name.
1: And that has quite a long history as well, doesn't it?
2: That they believe it came out of Quebec in the 1600s. It was probably brought as seed from France and grown by the missionaries, from the Jesuit missionaries, and then it quickly spread southward uh, and into Vermont, into Maritimes, Atlantic Canada and in New England, and gradually made its way throughout sort of Northeastern North America. I don't know whether it was ever grown much in the Western sections. Uh, I think it does better in a cool climate, Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a very old one. I know uh, it was also called the chimney apple by people in Vermont, because at Chimney Point, they, they, they claimed that it was from there, but it actually was much later uh, when it arrived in Vermont, so it's almost for sure it came out of Quebec. It could have been brought as a grafted tree from France, but at that time period when it took so long to cross the Atlantic, it's very unlikely. It was probably brought as seed.
1: Well, we have just a few minutes left, and in a minute we're gonna find out who wins a copy of your book. But just for just do you have a few words or suggestions for people? Your top tips, in growing these hardy apple trees successfully, what would you say?
2: I'd say first look at the soil, because the soil is everything. It, it's the, That's what they're eating in a sense. Uh, and so I would make sure that your the acidity level is adjusted properly. Very important, the pH. And so you'd get a soil test done and you want that soil to be between 6.5 and 7 for optimum growth in an apple. Uh, Organic matter is important as well. You wanna make sure that 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 soil can hold water uh, and yet have aeration. And also as organic matter breaks down, it is releasing the nutrients that are so important to the apple. Um, Site, of course, very important. If you were in a frost pocket, you are going to be frustrated because you're going to get those cold nights and your apples blossoms will freeze. Uh, So not everyone is in a great spot to grow apples. You have to try to choose the best site that you have. Um, And uh, I I would say that sun, of course, don't try to grow them in the shade or partial shade. They need full sun. uh, And then... I would read as much as possible about pruning and why you prune, what you're trying to do with pruning uh, and what you're, you really want to open it up to air, air and sunlight, uh, w- but you don't want any blank spaces in the trees either because a blank space does not produce fruit. Um, so those are kind of the highlights, I think, of apple growing. Uh, you want to optimize soil, sun, and water, to give it the best opportunity to produce fruit of high quality.
1: Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. So now it is almost time to discover who won a copy of your beautiful book, Bob. But first, I want to say a quick hello to some of the regular listeners who send me sent me emails this month. So this month, I heard from Carl from Alb- Albany, New York, who sent me a really nice graphic it shows apple sweetness so it's a guide where it shows you here are the sweetest apples and here are the most tart apples and you can kind of see what what there is along that scale so thank you so much carl gail gail wrote me celebrating the launch of apple season joe and jane wrote to say hi and to tell me that they would be listening into the show today so thank you everybody For being part of the Orchard People community, I really appreciate being able to enjoy sharing my passion for fruit trees with you guys. So that's wonderful. So now, Gary in the studio is going to help us uh, figure out who's won today's prize. Gary, are you there? I
0: am here. And Bob, you know the drill. I'm going to shake the bucket. You tell me when to stop and I'll pull a a great piece of paper out. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go up <laughs> okay <laughs> let's see what we got here and it's is i believe it's pronounced Aslin or aslin Car- yeah aslin
1: As- aislan i'm it, sorry it, thank you that's how i think that's how i yeah it. so
0: from ontario congratulations
1: Wonderful, Aislinn. So you won today's prize, which is Bob Osborne's new book, Hardy Apples: Growing Apples in Cold Climates, valued at thirty-five dollars. Congratulations! So thank you so much, Bob, for being with me on the show today and for sharing some of your favorite apple varieties. If anybody wants to, uh, you know, get in touch with you or find out more about you, what's your website?
2: Uh, they just go to cornhillnursery.com.
1: cornhillnursery.com. So thank you for spending this time with us today. It's been fun. Okay. Good we'll see nice you next time. time. Okay. Bye. Bye. So if you want to learn more about today's topic, why not go over to the Orchard People YouTube channel? In the next couple of days, I'm going to upload a short video version of this podcast. And I'll include lots of images of the apples that we've talked about to bring it all to life for you. And also, if you want to listen to this show again, or if you want to download other episodes, go to orchardpeople.com podcasts. Now, from listener Sean, I realized that people don't know that they can get more than the last, I think, 25 podcasts. I'm going to put a button on there that says, Take me to the website where you can find all the podcasts because this is episode 86. There are lots of them. <laughs> so you can learn more about growing fruit trees at orchardpeople.comslash podcasts. And the, you can also go to orchardpeople.com, where I also have detailed articles and courses on fruit tree care. Finally, are you looking for gifts for friends or for family? Maybe you want to consider giving them a copy of one of my books. You can find both books and lots more gift ideas at orchardpeople.com slash shop. Well, thank you, everybody. That's all for today's show. I hope you will uh, join me again next month, and we're going to have another great topic. So I'll see y'all then. Bye for now.